ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. This is Janice Porter, and I have a very special guest with me today, as always. His name is Corey Poirier, and I hope I said that right, Corey. Absolutely, you did. 100%. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I love the French-sounding name, Poirier. It is a French name, correct? Yeah, it's as French as a name can get, I believe, and I'm as English as a person can get, I believe. <laughs> I love it. So I just want to give my audience a little bit of a, a little bit of a background of, of Corey, of you, um, because there are lots of things to um, shout out about. Corey is a multiple-time TEDx speaker, the host of the top-rated Let's Do Influencing radio show, founder of the Growing Blue Talks brand, and has been featured in multiple television specials. He is um, has also, and this is what really intrigues me, he has interviewed over 6,500 of the world's top leaders and has spoken on-site at Harvard and more recently to Microsoft team leaders. There are many more things you're, that you have done and have accolades about, but I want to just dig in right away and, and, um, and get to uh, the heart of it, which I think Corey was um, stand-up comedy. That's where it all started, right? Yeah, it all started really for me in a lot of ways back in 2002-ish, so 20 years ago, I was introduced to this world of comedy. Actually, how that happened is I had written a play uh, for um, a stage play for a festival, and I was I was the writer-director. I didn't want to be on the stage at all, but one of the actors hurt himself, he sprained his ankle, he was the lead actor, so he still actually finished the play out, but he needed more time because he was hobbling to do the uh, costume changes. So I had to write extra parts to help give him more time. But there's only one person that knew the lines other than the actors, and that was the guy who didn't want to be on stage. And so I ended up writing parts where I could actually have my back to the audience to not be facing the audience. But I was still terrified. And so I asked one of the actors, hey, how can I get over this? And he said, I don't know if this is the answer, but he said, I'm going to a stand-up comedy workshop at the local university in uh, about a week's time. Are you interested in coming? And I said, sounds terrifying. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so I figured at the very least, I would learn more about writing from yeah. a comedy workshop. Didn't think I would ever actually get on a comedy stage. Uh, so we went for two weeks and we learned how comedy works. And But the truth is we didn't really learn a whole lot, but that was the premise is we're going to learn all about comedy. Week three, we went to a comedy club and the idea was we're going to be learning from other people and, and later discussing what we learned and, and almost like a, a clinic, you know, where you're or a master class. For, but in real time, we promoted the show, brought almost 200 people for a Monday night show, which is a lot. And for a local bar, it wasn't even a comedy club. And uh, at the, about five minutes of show time, we still didn't see any comics. And we're like, isn't there supposed to be like 10 comics? Anyway, so we asked the guy that brought us into the workshop. And he said, oh, didn't I tell you? You guys are the comics. And <laughs> planned to spring it on us like that. It was intentional. Yes. Uh, there were 15 of us and uh, eight walked out the front door within about 10 minutes. Seven stayed. I was one of the foolish ones that stayed. After going into the bathroom to try to find a window to escape, and there was no window in that bathroom. Uh, and I jumped on the stage, told the first joke, 
uh, I ever told in my life before they were still debating who was going to go up first. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to go up. And I grabbed the mic, told a joke to dead silence. Oh and then God. I launched into joke number two. And this time, not only dead silence, I think I saw a tumbleweed go by the stage and he called me over and he gave me a schmuck in the back of the head. And he says, you idiot, we haven't even turned the mic on yet. And so that I, I didn't even mean to go that deep into the story, Janice, but that's how I get started. Really. That's, that was, I feel like, always feel like that was the moment everything got started because even though uh, we got the mic set back up, turned it on and I still bombed, it was still basically the fact that I came back the next week. That's what kind of launched everything because I kept doing it until I discovered speaking. And then I did both at the time, but none of that would have happened if I wouldn't have got on the stage that night. Well, you faced your fears and, and overcame them over that period of time. Right. And I think, when we realize that we can do something we are deadly terrified of, it just makes us stronger and makes us the the it puts the bar higher, right? For the next time. So that's awesome. I, I'm I'm I kind of felt at first when I heard that you were in stand-up comedy uh, at the beginning of your career, um, I thought, oh my goodness, now you teach people how to speak and how to do TEDx talks and and how to uh, get paid to speak. So you have an advantage that someone like me, this is what I'm feeling, doesn't have because you know how to tell a joke. You know how to tell a story that engages an audience. What's the secret to that? Well, one of the secrets is that I, I didn't start that way. So <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people feel that I could never be a speaker, not like that guy or that girl. Mm -hmm. My experience, honestly, Janice, is neither could they. So in other words, when they started, they weren't that person. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't realize this, but Jerry Seinfeld, what kept me going in comedy is I remember one time I, I read an interview. It was a, I actually read it in a book about comics. And I read this interview where he said it took him two years of performing before he could get 15 minutes of material that worked. Now, this is a guy that many consider one of the best comics in history. Yes. And it took him two years to get 15 minutes of material that people laughed at. And so... I think one of the secrets is, is that nobody starts ready. And now I say nobody, I mean, there's maybe those rare anomaly exceptions, but most of the people that, that I've seen that are world-class speakers either had to work at it or they learn from somebody else or they studied at the feet of giants. I mean, there's some component. So to go one step further and say, how do we get that? And what does that look like? Well, first of all, I would say, and this is the longer answer because it'll take time to do this, but I would recommend you go and find out who the best speakers are around the type of style that you have of speaking and then study them. So mm -hmm. for instance, uh, if you watch somebody like Lisa Nichols, mm -hmm. who I think is uh, one of the best speakers in the world, but if you watch Lisa Nichols, she does a thing that I call the dip method, D-I-P. She calls it the valley, but <laughs> it's, uh, I learned it from the media. And I think I, in an interview with her, I think she said she did as well, but it's a media thing. Media uses the pitch, but they never tell it to anybody else. Like it's just a, basically what it is, is your dip story is talking about your muddy middle or your messy middle. So it's how you actually start out with authority, like Corey Port, you did my bio. So that's my authority. And then if I go in and say, I did that stand-up comedy and bombed and everything else, that's going into my dip. And then I would tell you uh, how I get out of the dip. And then I would tell you, based on me getting out of the dip, learning that, now I want to teach that to you. So what I'm getting at is that somebody like Lisa Nichols, you can watch her dip in real time happen. So I'm saying, go watch her video and study. Why mm -hmm. is that working? But mm -hmm. then five minutes later, you can watch Steve Jobs. 
And where Lisa is like, brings her emotion into the talk and moves and walks the stage and everything. Steve Jobs was very methodical. He walked slowly on in the stage, looked very like he was thinking of it a lot, but he still felt his passion. But he was known, like he would count out. Uh, here's the three things I want to tell you today. One, two, three. Like he had a totally different approach. But what I'm getting at is they're leaving clues. As Jim Rohn said, success leaves clues. Yes. So yeah. first of all, I would say the long answer is study those people and make notes of what they're doing that, that's working. The short answer is there's definitely fundamentals that it took me years to learn that you can use, i.e., uh, for instance, when you're telling a story, always make sure you have a hero and a villain in the story. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about every story that really has resonated since the beginning of time, there's always somebody that we can root for and somebody that we can throw rocks at. Right. And people want that. And by the way, it can be a person or, or it can be a thing. So mm -hmm. for instance, cancer could be the villain. Mm -hmm. Hope, the hope that you had or, or the mentor that helped you uh, making your body go alkaline so that you ultimately ended up beating cancer, that could be the hero, the hero in the story. But it also could be your old boss that you hate. It could be the villain and you could be the hero or like the story I told you. And it does, the villain doesn't have to be like a bad guy that everybody hates, but the guy that got us on that comedy stage that night without telling us could be the villain in the story. And me that jumped on the stage first and bombed horribly and still got back up could be the hero. Right. So really plots in the whole world, right? Yes. You know that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. man versus man, man, man versus nature and so on. Those are the things. And because I, I still to this day now I'm digressing, but but on this topic, um, why is it that the people in Hollywood keep redoing the same films and the same don't aren't there any new stories they can tell, you know? what it made me think of Corey, is the five plots in the world and how i don't understand why people in hollywood keep remaking the same films over and over again because there aren't there any new stories right so uh yes those five plots are uh universal right um let's shift gears a little bit and and talk about first of all you have what how many podcasts do you have now i have three podcasts yes. and in fairness, one of them is our Blue Talks podcast for our yes. Blue Talks brand. So yes. I technically have two of my own. And then okay. I have that one, which is I still I'm still running that podcast. So OK, and I want to talk about, about um, um, uh, Blue Talks in a minute. I just want to say with your podcast, for example, now you you have interviewed over 6,500 of the world's top leaders. Was that for your book, The Book of Why and How? So so I'm going to say a yes and no. So it wasn't for the book, but uh, in the book, I basically weaved in a lot of those stories and, and actually uh, leveraged the results of some of those interviews, meaning like I would talk about in the book, you know, during my interviews with uh, many of the world's top thought leaders, uh, Jack Canfield said this to me. And so I, I almost like how Think and Grow Rich or uh, How to Win Fri Friends, those two books reference people that the author studied. Yes. I do the same in the book, but the interviews themselves were a mixture. So I used to have a newspaper, uh, business publication, like Success Magazine, but it was called Island Business News. It was more of a small town thing. But I was interviewing regional thought leaders at first and regional business owners. But then I started saying, well, why do I have to only limit this to regional and then i started reaching out to a lot of the people i wanted to learn from or I, who i had followed for years and so a lot of the interviews started there like i would say 
upwards of 3000 of the interviews were from that because the publication was monthly. It was out for seven, almost seven years. And I interviewed about 80 people a month for that. Wow. So that's where a lot of them came in. Cause a lot of people, I think in, instantly think, Oh, it must've been all on his podcast. And no, it wasn't. I mean, it's still in the thousands on the show since we started, but that's not where it all came from. But then also uh, I, we have a thing called the influencer vault, which is a monthly member site. And I interview up to 10 people a month just for that alone uh, with blue talks. I'm interviewing people for our blue talks brand. And then uh, we had a, a five part book series about, it was called conversations with almost 500 and 50 of the interviews were just for that book series. So it is a mixture, just to be fair, it's not all from the podcast, but I, in the book, I definitely planned when I was writing it that I wanna reference these interviews throughout the book so that it becomes storytelling in nature. And I'm also working on a parable fictional book right now. And I'm, I've weaved in some of the stories. Like if I'm sitting with somebody, I'll actually tell the stories if the character sat with them. And then I'm going to that person and making sure I can share the story, which I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I, in a lot of ways, if it's a celebrity, I can just share it anyway, but I'd rather have their buy-in. And then yeah. I'm also working on not, this one's not active, but I'm, I did four chapters and it's been sitting there for a while. Uh, but a book like Think and Grow Rich, where it's the timeless secrets that I've discovered. So it does weave its way into everything else I'm doing, but it wasn't done for the purpose of the books. Okay. And I, I do need to ask you though, because, you know, I've been a podcaster now for about a year and a half and I love podcasting. I love interviewing people and I kind of go from my gut. I don't have set questions. Like I know you've been on uh, um, entrepreneurs on fire twice and John Lee Dumas has a pattern that he follows. Do you do that when you um, interview people? What's your sort of take on, on, how you interview people. So I did do that for the first year and a half, two years, I want to say, like of the podcast. I didn't, so, so I'll, I'll go back a step. I did that with the newspaper, but it was a little different because you're in person, but it's not being, it wasn't being recorded for anybody else. So it was in person. So I would take the questions because I'm like, it's only me and this person. It's just like we're having a lunch meeting. So I was like, I might, I might want to ask this so I prepare it in advance. So I did use it that way. So when I carried over to podcasting, probably just because I was so nervous about doing it on air so often, I did have like my standard 12 questions. Mm -hmm. Now, I would make sure they were really, I would say profound questions where they were designed to get different answers from people. So for instance, um, one of the questions that I've asked more than any other question, I call the time machine question. And basically it's, it's as simple as it sounds. If you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to your younger self what piece of life advice would you tell them? And, and then of course, then I'll ask, would you actually get in the time machine? Cause you know, that would change everything. And so, you know, that question usually gets different answers or what do you want your legacy to be? And it'll bring out different answers. So I tried to have questions that were powerful enough to stand to their own as questions you're asking in a format like John did, mm -hmm. but pretty quickly, like in about two years, I threw the questions in the garbage because, and this probably ties into the fact that I come from a comedy background and a bit of improv background. I actually started to, well, I'd be doing the questions and then somebody would say something that wasn't in my format. So right. I'm like, do I leave the format? Cause I still want to get it done during this interview. Do I leave the format and just go with this question or do I follow the format, but not get that great answer out of them. And I ultimately decided for me, the answer served the story more than the question if that makes sense. So in other words, the, their answer, 
I wanted to get that answer out of that thing they said. Mm -hmm. And if I was trying to use the questions, it'd be almost serving my approach right. to the show versus making the show their show by asking Letting them go where they wanted to go. Yeah. Like somebody could say, um, you know, we could be in the middle of an interview and somebody could say, well, um, I tried to take my own life and here's what happened. Hmm. Well, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing to leave out in the table yes. just because it doesn't flow with my questions. Yes. Yes. And so then I would go, I want to, I'll call it rabbit holes. I want to go down that rabbit hole. But when I went down the rabbit hole, then something else would come out that would only fit down the rabbit hole. <laughs> And so there's no way I could work my way back to the questions and still sound authentic. So it more became this, for me, a coffee conversation, but it was, I think, driven by the fact that I come from that background of, like when I did stand up, I'd memorize the material, but I always said I memorized it so then I could actually leave the material. Yeah, so sure. what I mean by that is if somebody heckles me, now I can feel comfortable to go with, go, go down that path and, and talk to the audience mm -hmm. because I know my material and I can get back on track. Mm -hmm. But I find when people are trying to wing it too much, then they get lost if something goes wrong because they don't know where to land. And yes. if that makes sense, like I, I wanted the foundation to be built so I could leave the foundation. And because of that with comedy, which a lot of comics don't do, they stick to the script 100%. But because I liked the idea of riffing with the audience and going off script, mm -hmm. I think I brought that into interview. And so now here we are, you know, whatever it is, 18 years, 16 years later, and I can't remember the last time I've used questions. And in fact, you will get some big name guests who they'll say we need to have mm -hmm. questions beforehand. And usually I'll say to them, look, I can send you a list of questions, but I can't promise you I'll stick to them. Right. That's what I said. But I'll say I can send them so you know the idea of questions and stuff like that. I've had one guest that said it's necessary. And I said, well, I honestly don't think the interview is going to probably work because it won't feel right to my audience. And I won't say the name, but it was a guest that I had tried to get for years. Oh, wow. Since that time, they've come back around and actually their team came back, a different member and said, hey, I knew you were trying to schedule what happened. And I told them and they said, well, let me talk to them. And they said, yeah, that sounds fine. Hmm. So they, they ended up coming back around. So a couple of things from, from uh, what you just said. I remember when I used to be a trainer, I was a corporate trainer and I taught some courses uh, in, to um, support staff in big companies around um, customer service, telephone courtesy, soft skills like that. And I knew my material so much that I was able to do the very same thing. I know what you're talking about. So letting somebody's question take you somewhere else, but be able to bring it back to where you needed to be at a certain time in the in the program so you got all the material done and i think that's that comes from experience and really knowing your material so it's exactly what you were talking about um when you're talking about the the big name speakers that you've had on on your show um i i have a question that i'm still working on in terms of okay the bigger the guest the la the less they um they care about your podcast in a way that seems to me and i don't mean that to be rude to anybody but i feel like they agreed to to do the conversation was it only self-serving or did they appreciate enough to at least acknowledge and post it somewhere put it on their website whatever do you find that you even can go that down that path with with the big name people so i have a couple of different takes on that uh so one i'll say this you know, I'll, I'll say this one thing first before I, I fully dial into that around the same subject. And 
I remember I heard it and I, sometimes I'll hear these things. And I don't remember where I heard it, but this one, I think I heard on a uh, podcast. I just actually recorded an episode. I don't know when it's going to air, but for a show called the self uh, self publishing school with Chandler Bolt. And it's a show that I listen to a lot, a huge fan of. And I remember one time this interviewer talked about doing a compilation book series and he did it with like, let's say um, 30 of his clients and the, the deal was is that they were actually it was not uh, it was a thing where they said how about we all share it with our list and on the list uh, everybody should have ten thousand people on it if we're all going to share it so that way we can all reach this many people whatever three hundred thousand people potentially uh but he said how what he bothers him is he gets people pitching him now that he's built a big platform and he said and they're saying look why don't you come into this thing with us um, and we're going to reach potentially 300,000 people, but you need to email your list five times that. And he said, wait a minute, I'm doing you a favor. So he brought up the point about he had five people in his book that he didn't ask them to do anything because their name was drawing people to the book and oh. their name was getting people there. So he brought up Seth Godin, for instance, mm. and he said, you know, Seth Godin's Seth Godin wasn't doing me a favor at the time. Or sorry, I'll correct that. Seth Godin was doing me a favor at the time. I wasn't doing him a favor. Yeah. And he said, so I had to realize I, because he's the one that's helping me and mm -hmm. because he's doing me a favor, I have to do more for him and I have to give more for him and I have to not expect much in return. And he didn't mean like not expect it like in the sense that, you know, he should just like Seth should just not do it because, you know, he doesn't want to, to help me. He just meant like, um, I shouldn't expect anything in return because he's already doing me a favor by being involved in this project. And th this ties into how I'm going to answer the question. Part of that is because most of those people we're talking about have so many opportunities that they're turning down maybe 50 opportunities a month. Yeah. So here's how I look at that, Janice, is I have to look at it like they might not retweet when, I, and so I, I also think you have to not have big expectations. So you might say, okay, right. I'm going to, I'm going to send a tweet out and say, it was so great to have Jack Campfield on the show. And it'll be awesome if he retweets that. But for me to send him all the images that we usually send guests yes. and say, hey, uh, I'd love for you to share that you're on the show. It's probably not going to happen. But we also have to understand the reason. And the reason is because he might be having to turn down 100 things that month to do 30. And you were one of the 30 he did. Mm -hmm. So because of having that many things on the go, he probably is also sharing for a lot of people that are in his network that have done a lot of favors for him over the years. So we can't share everybody's thing every every day because of that. So for me, I didn't understand that at first. And so it was like, well, I bring on this big name guest and they have such a big list. Why aren't they not, you know, sharing that they were on the show to help bring more people to the show so that, and I don't mean for me, but I mean, so that we can impact more lives together and stuff. And then I started, I heard that guy's talk about that. And I thought, you know, that when you think about it, Jack's doing me a favor because let's say we used to have the show, we used to have like five guests on the show at once. And we always had a headliner, just like you would at an event. Well, Jack might be the headliner. Well, Rebecca Smith, let's say, that teaches um, success coaching like Jack, let's say she's on the same episode. I'm actually helping introduce Jessica to a whole bunch of people in Jack's network because whenever I put the Jacks on the show, then I'm getting SEO, not to get too technical, but I'm getting SEO because Jack's name is associated with the show. And it means we're getting listeners, even if Jack didn't share it, that know who Jack is. Right, and right. now they're discovering my show and they're discovering Jessica. So I had to realize maybe that's enough. And, and then also understand the reason behind it is because he's just maxed out. Like, here's the thing I'll share with you when we talk about those interviews I've done. The number uh, three uh, top trait, so a secret habit trait, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, is I call it the power of no. 
So what I've discovered, and this ties right back into the answer here, what I discovered is that uh, the world's top dot leaders have to say no, on average, at least minimum, at least 10 times more than the average person, up to as many as 100 times more. So what that means is Tony Robbins, for every one thing we're getting requested to do, and I would say it's for him, it's way more than 100, but he's getting 100 requests. Yeah. So if he agrees to do the, you know, the one thing, if you're in one of the 30 he does in that month, then I think just him doing it is actually reward enough. Is that, is that a fair answer? Absolutely. I think that's a great answer. And I think there's a great lesson there. And if that's an example also of something that's in your book around that, and I, I think it makes total sense. And thank you for that. But um, the secrets to um, meaning, success, and abundance, that's what that book is about, right? So, um, and I love interviews. So I love to hear other people's take on it. Um, I just was interviewed on somebody's podcast and what he did was he does these 10 questions. It's like, he calls it an icebreaker, but he bases it on um, and, um, the, uh, the show, um, the actor studio. Yes. Which was, I loved that show. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. So, and, and so I could see, you know, he was very much that way in those questions. So it was fun. And that was just the beginning. And that was this, this gentleman's style. And, and it was, it was neat. Okay. I'm going to switch a little bit again. And I want to ask you about blue talk, blue talk, blue talks brand and, and uh, BLU just out of curiosity, is that just, yes, another way of spelling blue or does it stand for something? Both. Okay. So it is another way of, of spelling blue. Yep. Um, and, and blue was pretty much the only color word where you could do that, where you yes. could actually remove a letter, have it look unique and it still say the same word. But also it was, by doing that, it makes it a three letter word. Yes. And I believe if you're gonna have an acronym, it shouldn't be like 15 letters long. So it fit in all different ways. Plus, um, I always joke and say, we're like, if you took TEDx and chicken soup for the soul and they got married and had a baby, we'd be the baby. <laughs> and so having said that, one of the things that, you know, TEDx is known for is the color red. Like it's the red dot, the red and black background. And I thought we should be associated with some color. And blue is one of my favorite colors. You know, red is as well, but blue is one of my favorite colors. So it all just seemed to, like, you know, how something just feels right. They're mm -hmm. like every angle you look at it, you're like, this is the answer. Yellow wouldn't have worked no matter right. what way I approach it. Now, yellow talks still sounds fine, mm -hmm. but every other aspect of it wouldn't have worked as well. And so the answer to the question about does it stand for something, it stands for business, life, universe. And what that really means, like how that ties into all of this and actually was the catalyst in a lot of ways for the brand is basically the business, of course, is business messages. Uh, we're going to help you. Uh, learn the top three secrets for how people have run successful businesses, that type of thing. Life is, of course, life stories. You know, somebody had a struggle, a challenge that they overcame. The universe, which is the real catalyst of the whole thing, is the spiritual side. And what happened was students in my programs said, I wish there was such thing as like a spiritual TEDx or a spiritual branded talk series, what have you. And I didn't want it to be only that because I'm a practical spiritual person. So like, I love the business messages. I love life stories. I didn't want it to be just spiritual, but what I'm getting at is the you without, you know, you couldn't have the S for spiritual, but the universe still kind of encompasses that. And so 
that to me was it blue talks became the mix of those three things so it wouldn't be abnormal for you to see a chapter in one of our books by somebody talking about their life story followed by a chapter with somebody talking about synchronicity followed by a chapter somebody talking about the three things they don't teach you at business school you know and so and it's meant to be a mixture between those on our live stages same thing it's those are even though some talks might fall slightly at the side of that i find they're either one of those or all three of those or a combination and so that's really the kind of the heart of what blue talks the name means and your that's your community right that you're building um with your um uh, members get interviewed and um you are you doing your courses through there like teaching people how to speak so no at present okay. uh so what what it looks like right now is it's a it's a four platformed brand if i say it that way uh and what that means is that within blue talks we have a book series we're okay. actually just volume six is just about to come out it'll be coming out shortly volume five just dropped uh over just before christmas volume six will be coming out in march so we're usually every few months we do like five to six books a year and those uh, are compilation do, books yeah, it's compilation books. So we have roughly 30 co-authors in a book and they each submit a chapter. Uh, you know, they'll be, uh, their bio and photo will be inside the book and their photo on the back cover. And so that's where I get like chicken soup meets TEDx. Yes. Yes. You know, the compilation is more the chicken soup side. And so we have the book series. We have a podcast, as I mentioned, Blue Talks podcast. We have a virtual event where what we'll do is usually interview to feature people. We'll interview them. And then we have uh, live stages. Of course, COVID has kind of played a little part into that uh, and wreaked some havoc. But we've done five live stages so far, two of them since COVID. So we have still been able to do them, but just it's been a challenge. Yeah. And then we're also planning to do soon virtual stages where where we have the virtual now where it's interviews and featuring people that way we're planning to start doing the virtual talks so like i'll be standing up speaking to the camera everything's the same as a live talk talk except for you don't have the audience in front of you type thing so we're adding that soon and basically when i say that what that means is the people that are in our community those are the platforms we're profiling them in and featuring them in so it's not abnormal to see somebody speak on stage with us at harvard or columbia uh be in the book series be featured on our virtual stage and be on the podcast, for instance. And so we're trying to help them get extra credibility, exposure, while also impacting lives. And the one difference I feel between, one of the biggest differences between Blue Talks and let's say a compilation book series is this is a community. So for instance, uh, we have a private Facebook group and every month we have Zoom calls where everybody gets together and we do breakouts and everybody gets to network with each other. And so I've been in compilation books in the past and they've done so much for me, except for whenever they were launched, everybody went, okay, nice to know you, see you later. And so you get, you work, maybe it takes you three months to get it ready to release, but as soon as it's released, it's like everybody just goes and goes their separate ways and you never, never sometimes see them ever again. And for me, when I went into compilation books, I would start building relationships with the people in the books. In fact, three or four of our Blue Tox community members were people that I was in my very first book ever with 10 plus years ago it was a compilation book. And out of the 27 co-authors, four of them, I think it's four, have been in Blue Tox. That many years later, we're still in contact. But yet I've been a part of compilation books where I've never heard of the person or seen them again. And so I didn't want that to happen. I said, let's create a community and also a community where these people are connected because even within TEDx, it's an awesome community, but there's no sort of real in my my view way for everybody to sort of get connected after the event 
you know, like it would have to be done by the local organized event to do that. Yes. But yeah, so does that answer <laughs> your question? So it's like yeah. a community where we're uh, trying to give opportunities to feature people, profile people, and also have them network with each other and also grow together. I love that because, of course, that's my thing, relationship building and relationship marketing and keep and and building relationships with people. And I kind of feel that way about my podcast guests, although it's a much harder thing to do. Um, uh, I did a I did a whole thing when I hit my hundredth episode and I sent everybody um, that had been on my podcast a beautiful card with a sort of commemoration and a thank you and appreciation for them but i need to do that more often because i think that that's an that that um keeps those doors open between you it keeps you connected and i think that's important and i think that most of the time we're missing out on that too um as it as you said you know when you get somebody who's a um, uh, a thought leader or, you know, a big person in their industry that doesn't have time for that. Okay, but you can still send them something. You're not expecting anything in return. And that's actually the beauty of this whole thing is the, the law of reciprocity. You know, you give and you help and you um, mentor and talk, uh, teach other people. You never know who's, how it's going to come back to you. But as long as you, I think you uh, mentioned in one of, one of the things I listened to, that famous Zig Ziglar um, quote about, if you help enough people um, to get what they want, you'll get what you want, so to speak, right? I paraphrase, but yeah. Yeah, and I'll even add one thing, just as an example where you never know also where something's gonna lead. So uh, for instance, I, and I won't get, I won't say the name because <laughs> it's one of those behind the scenes conversations, but there's a really big name thought leader who's impacted millions of people from stages and podcasts and, I had that person on once for an interview and I didn't expect them to, and they didn't share it or anything like that. Interviewed them again, interviewed them again, like maybe four interviews. So they continue to give me their time that way to do interviews. And the person that I coordinated through usually, like I know the person now, but they, you know, he has a person that he works with because he's always so busy. And the person that he works with, I mentioned that we're doing our, um, I'm doing a, a launch. Now the launch by the time people hear this might be already done, but we're doing a launch with affiliates. And he goes, Corey, how do I affiliate with you? And so I said, well, um, I said, you know, I don't expect you to do that. He goes, no, I want to, how do I do it? And so, and long story short is that what we're doing is a three-day speaking boot camp. And one of the things I help, as we said, people do is land a branded talk like a TEDx. He said, well, I know our clients, which is like 1500 people that have spent thousands with them as a speaker and almost 20,000 people on their general list. He said, I know all of them are asking us all the time how to land a TEDx talk. He said, send me the affiliate info, we'll send it out for you. What I'm saying is, that's three years later yeah. and that's actually doing more than if they just said hey i was on the episode so right. i think if you keep giving yes. your point uh from a reciprocity point of view it'll come back yes. but i i think the challenge is for most of us especially with new podcasts we're like oh if that one person just shared it we'd impact so many lives together but I, I, again it took me a while to realize that they're still helping and they're still impacting those lives because I'm able to bring more people to the show because they were involved in the show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, there's so much more there to go into. I think I'll have to have you come back because I think that it's important. There's so many podcasts out there today and, you know, it's a lot of noise and we need to, you know, in order to, to find our audience and grow our audience, we need to bring good value to them in so many ways. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the person at the top of the heap. But 
if and if that person is a guest of yours appreciate it for what it is and uh and think of it in the ways that you talked about because it makes a lot of sense and you never know you just never know um it's time to wrap up a little bit and i want to ask you two questions one uh what would you say right now in this you know i'm not even gonna say it's post pandemic because i don't think it is yet um but in this crazy world that we're in what is your best piece of business advice you would give my audience who are you know speakers coaches entrepreneurs sales professionals um uh, business owners what would you say is your best piece of advice well again in this moment i'll also say what jumps to me right away mm -hmm. um, i believe you know gut that way like if it comes to me right now there's a reason but yeah. it also it's neat because it's like a segue from your previous question like that question could have segued to this which is around the idea of uh, I call it leverage, the power of leverage. And it ties into what we were just talking about. So that'll give people a visual of how to use that. Um, almost a continuation of that point is that when we talk about the people that I've interviewed, I can tell you, Janice, and just like they do as well, but I've leveraged that in more ways than I can ever count. Than I can ever count. Meaning, I don't even know, if we talk from a business revenue point of view, I couldn't put a dollar figure on it. The, the results of those interviews I've done, even if they've never shared it, going back to our point once, because, and I'll give you an example of what I mean here. If I go speak at an event and they show a sizzle reel at the beginning, it could say he's interviewed the likes of Lisa Nichols, Les Brown, Bob Proctor, and it's shown pictures of me with them. And so I'm up on the screen and all of a sudden, before I even talk, you're like, he's got the, you know, he's learned from all of them at the feet of the giants. And then uh, at the same time, if I want to interview another person, if I want to reach out to a person, to interview them, I can send that video and it shows the clips of me with them. If I want to open the door for a book deal and I can say, you know, some of the people that might share it for me include, and then they see those pictures. What I'm getting at is understanding how to leverage those things will take you to the next level so if you're if you haven't even done that yet and we talk post pandemic this is the thing that's going to bring you out of that quickly in my opinion because it's going to be thing that would take you to the next level whether a pandemic existed or not and so to put a, a ribbon on this how i would tell people they could start doing this right away uh so we take off the table of maybe interviewing big name thought leaders because maybe that could take you six months or eight months to build that up so you have a few pictures because now you can do the pictures just on this type of screen do a yes. screenshot but it might take you time to do that so a shorter way to do that what i'm talking about and use leverage and why i'm saying to do this is because if you have those things, often people will pay more to work with you. They'll want to work with you more. And so if we take the celebrity names or business names off the table, it's like if you have a book on something and somebody else doesn't, most people, if you ask them, they would hire the doctor that wrote the book on it versus over the one that didn't. And so what I'm getting at is you need to, first of all, get that credibility. But then the second part is leverage it during anything you're doing. So to make this more real, for example, what you could do is you could actually say, okay, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach, what have you, I want to get some credibility, I want to get some authority. You could actually reach out and be interviewed, let's say on 10 podcasts. Now, there's a, a if I gave you an example, rather than you, if you're starting from scratch, you might not know, where do I go to find these podcasts? Obviously, you could go on Apple and search top podcasts and find their information and all that. I'll give you a shorter way. Subscribe to, for example, radioguestlist.com, which is free, mm -hmm. and go to the top corner, subscribe to them. And then what happens is the next day you start getting uh, emails that say, here's the podcasters looking for guests. Tells you exactly what they're looking for, how many listeners they have. 
you apply to, let's say there's five a day, let's say you apply every day. Let's say you land one in 10 business days. You now have 10 podcasts that you're going to be on. You'll probably be on them within a few weeks. And so within a month, let's say you've been on 10 podcasts. What you then want to do is get the logos from them podcasters, which they won't mind giving you because it's promoting the show. And then you put together an as seen on banner, which you can get done through, let's say Upwork for $20, like a freelance site for $20. And that's if you can't do it yourself, but you put together a um, as seen on banner, put that at the top of your website. And what they've shown is your credibility will go up, up to 70% higher just by having an as seen on banner. Interesting. On your Interesting. That's great. So that's a long way to say leverage. So yes. leverage the fact that you've been on those shows and what that does is every day, it's the gift that keeps on giving because every time somebody new goes to your site, they're like, whoa, look at all the places they've been. And then they go, well, they must be doing something right. They've already been vetted. So they must be a coach that is, get, is getting a lot of clients because look at all the credibility and social proof. So awesome. I would say to do something like that and then leverage it. Awesome. Thank you. Last question, two parts. First part, um, my favorite word is curiosity. And I, I would like to know whether you think curiosity is innate or learned. Part two, what are you most curious about right now? Wow, this is a tough one because I believe it's both mm -hmm. or none. So meaning like it's either or or both. So what I'm getting at, is for, I think for some people, it's innate and it's something they always have always had. But I also don't think it's necessarily, it has to be that way. So I think it can be both for some people, um, meaning like it can be born and then they also develop it more. But I also believe you could be that person that was never really curious and become curious. So what I think has to happen, which is maybe the bigger, the big question that adds on to that is what I think has to happen for it to be uh, something you develop is you have to start becoming more adventurous. You have to, for example, if you discover, I'll use it this way, if you discover what you're here to do, you're gonna become more curious mm -hmm. about it. And then when you go down that rabbit hole, and you start getting more fulfilled and more cool things start happening, then you're going to become more, become more curious as a person in general, because you're going to be like, if that happened, just because I took that one rabbit hole, what else could happen? So I think you can become a curious person, but something has to shift, or you can be born a curious person. Is that okay. a fair answer? Of course. Yes, yeah, second part. The second part was, what am I curious about now? Yeah, what are you most curious about right now? Wow, so... I think right now I'm most curious about, and I say this almost like curious, but also like, um, like crystal ballish. I wonder what's going to happen is when we talk about post pandemic, I, I I'm really curious what the speaking business, because it's one of my passion areas is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, is it going to be a hybrid, a virtual and live? Is it going to, remain mostly virtual? Like are people, most speakers gonna say, I don't wanna travel anymore, I'm just gonna do virtual. Is it gonna be, we've been so desperate to get out on stages that we're all flooding the stages and there's not enough talks for everybody. Is it going to be that actually there's more speaking opportunities because companies have lost two years of booking live events and now they're gonna put three events together in a year rather than one. So I'm curious how that's gonna play out. So I guess in a lot of ways, I'm curious how the pandemic is gonna play out, but in relation to me, that's what I'm curious about. And I do know, as far as if somebody wants to learn how to speak, I do know that that's still an invaluable resource and it's still going to be a thing that is going to be needed and can be leveraged in multiple ways. Whether it stayed all virtual, you can still get paid to speak virtual and run big virtual events. 
I still can think it's going to be indispensable and it is right now, but I'm just curious as to what it's going to look like mm -hmm. after after the dust settles. And, and that's really valid because who knows what the world's going to look like. It's definitely not never going to be exactly what it was for sure. 100%. Well, that, we've done a full gamut of things. You're um, a wealth of information and I appreciate and thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise and your your opinions on things. And I uh, I do think that if possible, I'd love to have you back because there's so much more we could we could talk about. So thank you again for being here. And I do have all your um, links that I'll put in the show notes. Is there one particular one that if that speakerguy.com would be your main website, but of how people can get hold of you, what would you prefer? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think Janice, I would send people, uh, we created recently, like it's really new, created um, a web link for people that they can grab a resource that I put together. Awesome. And the resource is related to the book of why and how, since we mentioned it earlier. And so what it is, it's an exercise, just a one page PDF exercise that people can print out and fill out the exercise themselves. It's a two-parter. One part is uh, we go into some details about how you can find your calling, which is pretty powerful and big for one exercise. But then the second one is the top leaders associate with other like-minded people and the right people. So it's an exercise figuring out how, who are you spending your time with now and how can you adjust that if needed? Okay. Uh, so again, all free exercise that we put together because I do believe I want to give people a win after they listen to this. Okay. And so that can be found at thepassioncure.com. The passion cure. C yeah, the, the word the there, the yeah. passion cure. Yeah. Com, and then slash, yeah. and I don't know if it's a front or backslash, whatever one we use, whenever yeah. it's that, a slash, Corey with an E, C O R E Y. Perfect. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I might have to take that myself. Why not? Yeah, really. Thank you. Thank you again. And thank you to my audience as usual for listening. If you like what you heard, please leave us a positive review. Always appreciated. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share out this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.